when we have an event, the smartest thing we can do is either reverse out of the meaning we brought to it, if it's negative or destructive, or even better, if you can train yourself to not even let yourself assign the meaning, mm-hmm. right? Then you get to say what the meaning is, because guess what? You're just picking it anyway. You're a high achiever. On paper and through the eyes of others, you've made it. Congratulations. But the truth is, you feel unwanted, unworthy, and unlovable. You always have, but you hide it well. Welcome to the Trauma Hiders Podcast. I'm Karen Goldfinger Baker, and this is a podcast where high achievers like you finally reveal what keeps them up at night that no amount of money or recognition will fix. I'm also making it my business to speak with people who get you. Hell, I get you. I am you. So get your best hider's face on, sit down, and let your guard down. What's on the other side of this shit will change your life. There are so many ways people like us fuck ourselves over. But let's start with five ways. When you know them, maybe you'll finally stop doing them. Over on my website, you'll find a free download listing the five ways your fuckery is getting in the way of the next level of your success. Grab it now at karengoldfingerbaker.com. Today, my guest is author and artist Melanie Goodwin. Join us as Melanie shares her unique insights on the power of imagination to heal trauma. You'll hear about the significance of using both sides of the brain, alternative trauma treatments, parts therapy, the power of language and symbolism, and the ability to choose the meaning we assign to events. And you'll also hear my ability to be very good at Wordle. How about that? I'm good at Wordle. Anyway, we talk about Wordle. We talk about the world. We talk about us. We talk about trauma. And we talk about the way the puzzles of life and the puzzles of therapy and the puzzles of language and symbolism help us to piece together the way we respond to the world. And it's all right here, right now in the Trauma Hiders Club. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. It's great to be here. When we connected to sort of get to know one another, um, mm-hmm. one of the things that I took away from our conversation and and then subsequently did a little bit of digging, something that intrigued me about you is your focus on imagination. And yep. what I love about that subject is there's creativity there's safety, there's, right, there's like, I imagine beautiful places. And then there's, there are parts of me that get their shit kicked up. Mm, Okay. Also, and say, well, imagination can also lead you, lead you, Karen, lead us all to Mm -hmm. scary places and scary thoughts and scary things. Mm -hmm. Because I tend to be a little sparkly unicorn. (laughs) My imagination takes me to sparkly places until my judgy parts say, hold on a minute, hold it, stop right there. 
It's not all rainbows and unicorns hold up. There's the, there are the really scary dragons and the 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 dark things hiding around the corners and the bad people. Mhm. Yeah. 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 So tell me, have you always have you always been imaginative? I think the answer is yes. What I remember is being aware and capable of even expanding beyond my awareness way more than other people in the room. What does that mean? Well, I just, uh, I just, I know now because I've studied neuroscience, but what I seem to do as a kid, like maybe a 10 year old, so you're still in childhood, but you've had a lot of the world imprinted on you by mm -hmm. that point, right? So what I seem to still be able to do faster or better than my peers was just switch over onto the right side of the brain and let it float and search and feel and intuit mm. and deal with all these impressions that were way beyond the the immediate thing that was happening in the here and now. And everybody else was just like, whoa, where do you get that? That's, you know, that's not here and now. And I'm like, you don't, you don't, you, you can't do that. Mm. <laughs> so I think the answer is yes. So the Right side of our brain is our creative brain, and our left brain is our more, uh, yeah, the opposite, Le analytical, analytical brain. And I mean, yeah. I can do analysis. I love analysis, but um, being able, there's a movement called the whole brain movement, mm -hmm. and they're adept at going back and forth because some skills are right for the left side of the correct for the left side of the brain, <laughs> and some skills are ideal for the right side of the brain, and. It's beautiful when you can choose to go back and forth as needed. So when you are 10 and you're left braining it out, like, is that I'm imagining using my imagination? Yeah. Right. Braining it out. Yeah. Left braining it out that like you're 10 and you're doing like a, I mean, maybe, you know, complex math when you're 10, like you're learning, you're learning like a math problem. That's more than just addition for you. Right. Like a story problem. I think that's what they used to call them. Story problems. Yeah, that's exactly. Yes, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. So for you, <laughs> are you taking that like to a like a different level than John has three oranges and Kathy has five oranges and Bill wants to buy six oranges? How is that going <laughs> to happen? Now, I didn't just do the math, but yeah. maybe I mean, when when I was in the just a kid who wanted to get through a math assignment, I was probably just in a very narrow lane to the extent that I could focus well then because we we haven't brought trauma in, but to me, mm. trauma is very fracturing. So mm -hmm. the ability to focus wasn't always that easy unless I was really in flow. But let's say I'm just doing math and I want to get it done. I'm probably not being terribly imaginative then, but I do know... I have a memory actually of some some substitute teacher somewhere. Now, this is more like high school. And they floated this problem that I guess nobody was supposed to be able to solve. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember kind of going right into the other side of my brain and going, well, what is, what did they not tell me? There's something missing here. And when I identified the missing 
quotient. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I could reverse engineer the answer and I just blurted it out. So that kind of nonlinear thinking was certainly activated then. I love that. I love that. I just quick question. It might not be at all related. (laughs) How are you at Wordle? I've never, I I don't know what it is. Oh, okay. Interesting. Okay. So the New York Times has a puzzle. It's a word puzzle. You can play for free. You don't have to be a subscriber. Uh-huh. Um, if you Google Wordle, it's Wordle. a daily puzzle. Um, and it, by the way, it was just, it, I'm going to back up. It was started by, I think, a guy in London during the pandemic. And every day he would create a puzzle for his wife. Oh, fun. And okay. it's five letters. And you have the entire alphabet and you just start with whatever start word you choose and either some of the letters work or some of the letters don't work and either they're they're in the right place or the letters are part of the five word, five letter oh, word, but they're yeah. in the wrong place or they're not part of it at all. <laughs> wow. So oh, you just you, and you have six you have six yeah. tries to get the word. I see. Okay. So uh, when I play Wordle, um, I often get the Wordle in two tries. And it's not because I have any kind of excellent start word, I don't think, because I switch them up. Right, right. Something happens. I don't know how to explain what it is, but it somehow appears to me and just makes sense. That that makes sense to me. Yeah, um, good. I mean, I I don't know what if there's a very particular you know technical term for it, but you're 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 accessing the part of your brain that's non-linear. Yeah, and just looking for well, where does it fit, and does that pattern? Should I go down that road? No, that pattern just broke down. So we'll go down this other road. Yeah, until you're there. Uh, right. I I don't know that. <laughs> I guess it's sort of like, in a way, I guess we could call it zone of genius in a way, because I can't definitely explain it. I can't, right? like, I could not spell it out. I can't say, well, here's what happened in step one, two, three, and four. I don't even know how many steps there are, because it's just like a thing that sort of like, like comes up on a screen. So it's interesting because often, and this, ha- this is, I do this, I'm in a Wordle group. So I, so we share our results. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and I love this. And a few of the people in the Wordle group are are analysts, like data analysts. Okay. And someone created a chart recently and said something to the effect of statistically speaking, my results are nearly impossible. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. To which I said, but they're not impossible. They're only nearly impossible. Right. And they're my results. So I suppose I'm the nearly impossible data point. What can I tell you? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not sure what I would do with that. Except I got pissed. Makes- That's what happened to me. I got angry. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, in fact, interesting. I, yeah, I was about to take my ball and go home be- and <laughs> say like, um, Did you think it was she was questioning like what you were reporting or um, how do you know what made you mad? I, um, I what made me mad was we've been sharing for like for over a year. 
And what, yeah, I, this could have been like my inner child who felt threatened, who felt threatened by probably one of my biggest, biggest fears is being misunderstood. Okay. Or, well, I was wondering about being disbelieved. Well, yeah. I mean, I think those two things go together. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And so if I can't even explain how it is that I get to that, then, right, then it's really hard for me to be understood. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I just got pissed. <laughs> and well, by the way, it wasn't a woman. It was um, it it was a guy. That and might it, have had a little to do with it, maybe. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it was. Maybe. It was something. Yeah, there. Yes. It. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. It's interesting. You brought that element in and there's like a whole other, there's a whole other layer coming into this picture now, but I have a, I have a word that you might enjoy. Yeah. Translogical. Ooh. And here's what I mean to, you know, the word trans, like transcontinental is a flight Mm -hmm. that goes across. And so when we're, when our brain is, and this happens more in the Female brain, I realize in some cases, it's not all that popular to talk about the differences between male brains and female brains, but you know, they're measured, they're out there. So in the female brain, they can give a a cue or a stimulus or something. And that brain, that brain will be lit up front, back, left, right, amygdala, prefrontal cortex, you know, all over the place. A male brain will have one area Hmm. where it means the one thing that it means for the male brain, right? And so a lot of times what I find in relation to men is that I know something and my knower knows it and then it's proved to be correct and they are baffled. Mm. And the word that I have gone to is I am translogical. You're looking for linear, logical, like give me the steps or show me the parts And all I can tell them is my whole brain activates and I'm processing all this stuff in time, in real time. And then it's translogical. The answer is there. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I love that. I'm going to share this episode with (laughs) with a big fuck you. (laughs) Some people in in particular, huh? (laughs) I thought you might enjoy Well, and that's another thing, because who on earth said just because we can't explain the steps, it makes it unreal. That's right. It's real for me. It is. I don't know where the answers are. I don't know that there is like a key to Uh Wordle that is published somewhere. I don't know where the answers to Wordle are. Don't know Mm -hmm. where I could get them otherwise. But yeah, I mean, like there's never been an accusation of like Karen is finding it somewhere else or asking (laughs) someone or I don't know. but. Okay. So I love this. So did you have imaginary friends when you were young? I, you know, I, not really. I, I pretended to, but that is because. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's an imaginary thing. (laughs) Well, no, I no, but I mean, maybe I should say yes. I don't know anymore, but (laughs) my, my brother and sister had a uh, a routinized way of teasing me. They were older. Both of them were older. And they would pretend that this person only came and visited the two of them. Mm. 
And so, um, and it was obviously it was super frustrating because anytime I tried, like it was behind the sofa, it's like behind the, oh, he left because of you. And I get behind the door and, oh, he's gone because you were almost there, you know? And so I, this idea of imaginary friends was kind of unpleasant. <laughs> yeah. And the only recollection I have of creating an imaginary friend was, of course, I had to have my own. Yeah. Right. To, to, you know, counter what my brother and sister were dishing out. So that's about it that I can recall. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I know what I believe to be imagination. Okay. Um, how would I talk about that? I'll just use words. Whimsical, creative, far away, far off fantasy, that kind of thing. What for you, What is imagination for you? Imagination for me, I'm going to try to be concise first and then we can go broad, but imagination as I understand it is the ability for one thing to trigger or mean another. Mm. So metaphors require imagination. Yeah. Analogy requires imagination. Actually, language mm-hmm. is completely symbolic, right? Like right. I'm not sitting in a chair, I'm sitting in a thing with four legs. But right. if you're American, you call that a chair. That's a symbol for the thing with four legs. Right. right? So all of language is symbolic. Yeah. Where a sound can mean a thing. Right. Right. So it's always going to involve the ability of one thing to mean at least something else or many something else's. And then from my study of imagination, there's a there's a layer called the poetic imagination. And that is, we've been alluding to that a lot, where we uh, we as human beings are, I, I think, gifted with this ability to kind of shuttle back and forth. That's That expression is actually from Stephen Pressfield. He, he describes the work of an artist as one who shuttles back and forth between the here and now mm-hmm. and the ether. We pull our work out of the ether. And so that is imaginative work. Okay, I get that. When you, you shared that definition and you said trigger, and you used trigger, <laughs> um, <laughs> suddenly yeah. imagination, like beca- it was real. This is what happened to me, you know? In, so I went to the Wizard of Oz suddenly. Okay. And um, if you remember the scene with those trees that start throwing the apples. Oh, at, right. Yeah. That's, that's after they find Tin Man. I, I think, think I think they're all together. They're maybe on their way to Oz. Okay. All right. And they're yeah, hungry the and tired and they're in the woods and the woods and turn mean. The woods turn mean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so, right. Because it's so, it, all of that is so imaginative. Yeah. And that part is like, oh, this is when your imagination will bite you in the ass, right? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So suddenly, like you when you said trigger. Fired. Yeah, that's what fired. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? Okay. Yeah. yeah well, for me, trigger it, I mean, obviously it can be a super negative word. Right. Um, but but it's a neutral word if sure. for me. Um because neurons are triggering or firing all the time. And we like yeah. those neurons firing. If you don't have neurons firing, 
you're you've got you're in a state of dementia, you know. Right. So <laughs> right. so they're good overall, but yes, you're bringing up a great point because with a trauma background, um, you, you know what they would call catastrophizing. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about catastrophizing or looping. Either one. Catastrophizing first, though, it's using the imagination to rehearse some negative scenario that hasn't happened, or at least it's not happening now. Yeah. Right. Um, so there's a little bit of mental um, hygiene. Yeah. Required to uh, enter the imaginative life. Yes. Yes. I love that. I, yeah, you know, it's, I have not used catastrophizing. I've been talking about, um, and this is sort of a tangent, but thank you for bringing it to catastrophizing because I've been using this term leadership trauma. I'm not sure if it's a real term or I made it up. Um, it sounds real to you. I'm very curious what you yeah. Wow, yeah. So I'll tell you about it yeah. really quickly. And it, yeah, it has yeah. to do with, with imagination. Um, so it's the, I'm calling it leadership trauma because it lands in the body the same way tra- trauma lands in the body, but it is not, it's not something that is too soon, too much, too fast. Um, okay. It's a imagined failure. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so an imagined catastrophe. Right. So, and it happens in the highest levels of leadership. So let's say founders. Um, And the biggest fear being, I'm going to let down investors. I'm going to let down my employees. I'm going to let down vendors. I'm going to let down clients. I'm going to let down my family. You know, and all of my time is spent on this thing. And it's right. an endless loop of catastrophizing failure. Right. And so what happened? So it's the same effect. The central nervous system is responding the exact same way as if it's a trauma response. So yeah. that's why I'm calling it leadership trauma. Leadership trauma. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I understand. And I mean, yeah, and the whole amygdala is going to be yes. Exactly. Everything is everything is firing this the exact same way. The endless doom loop, the whole thing, but none of it has happened. And well, that was going to be my next question. Is it at all reality based? I mean, like, was there a previous trauma that this is sort of hinting or a little bit similar to in some way? Yeah. So um, the way that I have seen it play out is we could. Yes, we could point we to say prior yes. traumas, prior experiences. Mm-hmm. However, those experiences I would not call, but you know, who am I to judge? Mm-hmm. Are those experiences are things like um, you know, my immigrant family expected me to have all A's and I came home with a B plus in chemistry. Oh dear God. Oh dear God. <laughs> and that was that that was the worst thing that happened. And really, like, but it, it really was a big deal. Yes. Like I yeah, no, I realize it's a real client. threat. Um yeah. or I, that family system. Yes. And and all of what happened from that B plus. I'm thinking of a particular client, all of what happened from that B plus was really significant. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. and 
and the story that came from that was one of, you know, you don't appreciate, you are not as smart as we thought you were. This country is destroying our family. Um, we made, we all made a mistake coming here. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, Stanford graduate, but whatever. <laughs> well, you know what? I mean, I, I'm I'm kind of chuckling on a lot of levels, but one of them, I have I have a chapter in my book called Watch Your Meaning Making. Mm. Right? Because we're all all of us are using our imaginations virtually all the time. If we're talking, we've already said we're using this vast system of symbols. We're using our imaginations all the time just to yeah. even think a thought we're using the imagination right so when we have an event the smartest thing we can do is either reverse out of the meaning we brought to it if it's negative or destructive or even better if you can train yourself to not even let yourself assign the meaning mm -hmm. right then you get to say what the meaning is because guess what you're just picking it anyway Right, right. So you can ask yourself, what am I making this mean? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's unfortunate. I mean, I don't know what that your client went through. It sounds like a horrendous, yes, you know, a lot of dominoes tipped over yes. as a result of one B plus. But yes. it happens all the time for all of us. Yes. Um, if we can train our meaning make again, mental hygiene. Yeah. 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 Does imagination get us into trouble? It certainly can. I, obviously, it, it's, it does. It can. Um, the reason why I'm absolute proponent of it is because it's also our answer to getting out of the trouble we got in. Mm, right? Tell me more. If you think, yeah, well, when, when we met the first time, I think we talked about the Bissell van der Kolk's book, The Body Keeps the Score. And in that, when one of the things I so appreciate about what he did, he said, these, you know, these modalities, these treatments, they're they're historically well established. Some of them are even entrenched, but they're not necessarily the most helpful. So let's talk about these other ones that really help people. And he goes into think about it. I mean, yoga is a physical meditation. So that one isn't fitting into what I'm saying right now, but drama therapy, mm. where the the client or the patient, whatever your context is, uh, says, okay, I want you to be my mother and I want you to be my father and you can be my sibling and you say this and you do that. And instead of what did happen, I'm going to go. Mm. And drama is the mode of healing because yeah. the brain doesn't make the distinction between reality and non-reality. The brain just experiences the emotion and the input and it sees this new outcome and it rewires. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that astounding? I mean, astounding. So, yeah. so that and that's just drama therapy, but my favorite, and I've spent a lot of time doing it, is parts work. Mm-hmm. Um, it, so, I mean, I, in my case, I had this whole constellation of parts of myself that were really in conflict. I mean, most of us understand parts on a simple level. Like if you ask me to dinner and I say, oh, I really want to go to dinner, but you know, part of me just wants to get in my PJs and sit on the sofa alone tonight. I, I really need that too. Right. So there's two parts in conflict. Right. So 
Parts therapy is one where you have to trust your imagination and you start dialoguing with these parts to say, well, what would be so bad about trusting this man that you're feeling almost in a crisis over because he wants to, you know, go go deeper into the relationship? Mm-hmm. What you know, talk to that part. And then there's all kinds of ways of getting that whole uh, cognitive dissonance, if you will, you know, that whole conflict to unravel. And when it's finally unraveled and neutralized, you you have integration. Yes. Yes. Right. So when you talk about parts work, are you using internal family systems or is it a different? Yeah, uh, I'll be really honest with you. When I really got into parts work, I, I, I checked the pricing on IFC and sessions were like 150, 200 bucks. Yeah. And I thought, well, gosh, I do this already. <laughs> so I'm yeah. already imaginative. <laughs> yeah, right. And, right. And I had also led um, many, um, many sessions of the artist way. And oh, Julia nice. Cameron does the same thing. Like she doesn't call it parts work. I'm not even sure she could have called it parts work. I don't know how old parts work is, but yeah. um, she says, let your eight-year-old inner artist self write a letter to your your person yourself now who yeah. won't let yourself paint unless all the housework is done. Yep. Right. So there's all kinds of parts work that's going on without yes. necessarily that name. So I what I did, I was in therapy, I was in talk therapy, and I'm reading this Vanderkolk book that says that's not the most helpful. <laughs> and so I literally filled like about this much journal. I mean, this is how tall my stack of journals is from I'm looking at a tall stack months. people. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. That's about six, six or seven inches yeah. of just notebooks full of parts work. And what I would do in my sessions is I would come in with my recent dialogues with these different parts and uh, I'd read them out loud. And of course, I mean, like it was, it was phenomenally powerful and uh, the shifts came fast and back to back. Yeah. And all of that is imagination based. So to answer your question, yes, we can get in trouble, but it's also the way out of trouble. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you say is our greatest benefit from imagination? Oh, well, in a way we can talk that, I mean, you know, just that we operate symbolically means we can communicate um, without pantomime. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) But maybe the greatest benefit, I think the greatest benefit is, is we're art makers. Mm. You know, that poetic imagination that literally can pull great works of art that's that are literally creating little moments of transcendence for people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. I don't that's think. Right. That's, yeah, <laughs> so cool. Tell yeah. us about your book. Well, it, it's called Resurrected Roadkill, and there's a reason for that. <laughs> When I read Vander Kolk, he has a checklist of his checklist is what adult survivors 
typically experience if they have had unresolved childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. I also had studied the ACE uh, study. Yeah. That's that famous childhood Adverse study. childhood experiences. Yeah. Excellent. Well done. So, And they had their little uh, list of mm-hmm. what the adverse childhood experiences might or could have been. And I read all this research on how it affects adults across the lifespan, how it affects physical health. I had my life was trashed. I was I was just in an absolute um, gut to the studs revamping of my life. And um, I felt like roadkill. And that was my most hopeless point. And then I read across, there's passage, it's in the New Testament that says, if the power of God lives in you, um, the same power that raises from the dead. And I thought, well, all right, that's going to be what I hang on. And so, and by then I had already, thank God, Bissell Vanderkolk actually gives a lot of hope. Hmm. And so uh, his checklist didn't, <laughs> I called it the roadkill checklist, but... <laughs> But he gives a lot of hope because he starts talking about all those things that are imagination based. And as an artist, I had already under I had already studied the imagination and mm-hmm. innovation and all this stuff. And I went, well, my goodness, all of the things that are really healing people, all of the quote unquote treatment modalities that help, according to Vanderkolk, Vanderkolk are imagination based. Yeah. So so that's where I'm going. Oh, I love that. I love that. You have inspired me. Uh, I say that with hesitation as I look at my bookshelf um, <laughs> to at least put my hands on The Body Keeps the Score because... Uh-huh. Has it been a while? It's been a while. And I have to say that I hated The Body Keeps the Score in really? a way like visceral. Why? Mm-hmm. Why would anyone just pick this up? Why would, you know, and people are like, oh, you got to read The Body Keeps the Score. Like people read it for pleasure. You got to read it about pleasure. Okay. Maybe not pleasure. I don't, (laughs) but like people who are not digging into, maybe they're digging into trauma, but, or maybe they're, I don't know. It seems to me that most of the people I knew who were referencing The Body Keeps the Score were not people who were like, in this vertical, <laughs> they say that, that a different way. I'm not sure. Yeah, I get they were people who were just like, I don't know. I want to maybe learn a little bit about more about me and mm-hmm. maybe a little bit more about how I show up or something like that. And I pick up this book. I was getting a certification in trauma and somatics, and it was part of the required reading. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> For trauma and somatics. Yeah. And that yeah. makes sense, right? That makes sense. Totally. Yeah. Which is that. And that was why I was even more surprised. Like, how is this book? Like it is on, I don't know what number it is on the bestsellers list. Like there are not, people are not studying trauma and somatics all over the world. That's not what's making it so high on the list. People are just reading this book. Um, I I have a theory about that, but go ahead. Okay, good. Um, So when I started to read it, I thought one, um, this book needs to have a trigger warning, and maybe it does, and I missed it. Uh, and, and number two, I don't want to read it. I have to like go back. Maybe if I held it in my hand, I could remember when it was. I said, I might not get my certification, but I don't oh. want to continue reading this book. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah and, is- and look, like I'm someone with a lot of courage and bravery. Look, I have a fucking podcast called the Trauma Hiders Club, and we talk about everything. <laughs> right, uh, right. And 
And there was something about it that I thought, I just don't need. I don't need this. I don't need it. So maybe maybe I just wasn't ready for it or it wasn't right for me at the time. But hearing I would have never taken anything about creative or imagination or alternative modality. All I have is here's what happened and it sucked and this person's life sucked and period. That's all I got. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, I just have, well, first of all, I think here's my theory about the popularity. Yeah. Um, one, I mean, Bissell Kolk, or Vander Kolk, sorry, he covers so much territory, but one of the really important things in my mind was he and his colleagues from all over the world compile all this data and ask the uh, DSM revision team to update based on all this trauma research and they, I'm not sure how to say this because I understand what it is to have a license and you have to be super cautious about what you can say and keep your license. Yeah. Um, but somehow Vander Kolk got it across to me that all those efforts and all that information failed and there was an economic conflict of interest at the DSM revision team level because they go back and forth between big pharma companies and the DSM. And of course, the entrenched method is pharmaceuticals. Yes. So I thought, well, that's really, that's really fascinating. And I looked further into that. And what I found is a lot of medical papers that were published saying, what a shame that we have not adopted Vander Kolk's mm. framework because his framework reshapes a lot of other diagnoses. There are diagnoses like uh, depression, anxiety disorder, defiant disorder, all kinds of personality disorders that if you understand, if you screen for childhood trauma first, right? You remember this? If yes. you screen for those things first, yes, then either they didn't have childhood trauma and, and then they really are depressed or yes. whatever. Or if there's childhood trauma, that's where you begin. Yes. And yes. so I we I think what's happening is that just even moderately informed trauma uh, trauma informed therapists mm. are realizing that that DTD that developmental trauma framework is super valuable yeah and they're telling their clients to go get the book yeah I bet you're right well that's a good thing okay you've piqued my interest <laughs> I, I was about to say you've sold me but then I didn't want to be a liar <laughs> Well, I understand. But here's another thing that I certainly noticed about myself is that whenever I have a really strong aversion, what I've trained myself to, and I might not make myself go face into it right now, but it's like, oh, there's a gem in there for me. Oh, sure. Without a doubt. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do more of that. Maybe it's time. Yeah. Maybe it's time. Yeah. I think about that (laughs) every day when I, when I go to write and I think about, I want to write about this, but the thing that's coming forward is this, and this thing is really strong. Well, then that's the thing to write about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. A lot of writers have that figured out. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me, what are you most excited about in your world? In my world, I am, I'm excited about the next book. Yeah. Um, what's, what's it about? Well, it, it's, it's about mending. 
mending relationship, relationship rupture. Mm. Um, it's, it's a, just like my, my newest book is a, it's, it's tools for transformation. It's not just information because God knows who needs more information. We've yeah, we got lots. Yeah, we have a lot. So it's tools for transforming one's own inner life. But mm. the, this next book is tools for transforming a relationship that has had some kind of breakage. Ah, who is this book for? You know, I think it's for, I know you're not supposed to say this, but, and the book doesn't exist yet. I mean, you keep that in mind. Uh, I'll have a better answer when it, when it exists, but I think it's for anyone who has the pain of misunderstanding and loss of relationship because there's been a real, just a missing of what each one needs to say. Is it a book for you? Definitely. But I think also, I mean, it is definitely a book for me, but I think it's also a book for our times. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people who are, I mean, all of us, I think that we're all getting fed a lot of information and they find out later that it was skewed or maybe even completely false. And people are, you know, at each other's throats at the drop of a hat. Like they haven't even had a two minute conversation. Well, that tells me they're not communicating. That's right. And they're definitely not connecting from the heart. Yes. So I think it's a book for our time. Yeah. I love that. I wish it was here right now. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You probably don't have a title for the book yet, do you? I have a working title, but I don't want to say it. Yeah. I, I haven't bought the URL yet. <laughs> okay. Okay. I get that. I do. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you. What's been most helpful for you today being in the Trauma Hiders Club? Oh, you know, I hope this doesn't sound overly simple, but I most appreciate just connecting with you. Well, yeah. You know, I most helpful is... It, what I realize as a, as someone who's largely recovered, that's how I'm going to define myself from a lot of trauma is I love people more than ever. Mm. And it, they are wonderful and such a joy to behold. And you are such a treat to be with. Wow. And that is what I'm most grateful for. Ah, Terrific. I love this. This is a great conversation. I'm yeah. sorry we, we didn't record our pre-conversation. Um, <laughs> yeah. My listeners, just so you know, it was a lot about Barbie and childhood and mothering and assumptions and girlhood. Um, maybe mm-hmm. we'll have a part two and maybe relive that. Um, yeah, who knows? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, who knows? But We, are, we I, both had a lot of, of things about Barbie to say. Yes, we did. And <laughs> I'm, I'm really glad that we had this time together. Um, we'll have links to your book and all the things that lead us to our imagination. Beautiful. Yes. Thank you Thanks. so much. Thank you. You've been listening to the Trauma Hiders Club podcast. For more episodes, head over to my website where you'll find links to resources mentioned and all the ways you can listen on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're ready to fight, discover the rules of Trauma Club. Head over to KarenGoldfingerBaker.com.